Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. So here we are. I've only been lead pastor for two years, and we've done Lamentations. We've done the book of Habakkuk. We've done Joel. We've been in some really interesting parts of the Bible. You'd think we would just, you know, pick Matthew and and move forward, although we did do Romans. But here we are in an interesting book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes, and I am actually very excited because it's a very profound book. So in the 1993 classic movie, Groundhog Day. The lead character, weatherman Phil Connors, played by Bill Murray, relives the same day, Groundhog Day, over and over again. And using a brilliant mixture of comedy and existential angst, we're taken on a journey. We observe Phil as he pursues meaning and purpose. And though it seems that nothing matters from one day to the next, because he's destined to relive the same day over and over again. So he tries to pursue meaning in this cycle. He pursues hedonism. He goes after pleasure. Maybe I can just enjoy and do whatever I want because nothing seems to matter. It's just going to start over again tomorrow. He pursues greed and acquiring for himself. He turns to despair and hopelessness. He seems to go through this full cycle. It's only when he finally reaches a point of contentment with his current circumstances that the curse, so to speak, is broken and he's able to wake up the following day. How many of you have seen the movie? Okay, good. (laughs) Otherwise, it may be a little lost on you. So I want to say this. In some ways, keyword some, the movie Groundhog Day portrays the underlying meaning and purpose of the book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, without the important nuance of where we actually find our contentment and hope. And so this morning, I'm excited to take us into a new book of the Bible. I'm sure it's one that is in the more stiff pages of your Bible, uh, one that you have not looked at quite as much. Let's be honest, most of us probably could not spell the word Ecclesiastes, but we dive in. And if you're familiar with the book, it's probably because of chapter 3. It's in chapter 3 where he writes, There's a time for everything, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to plant, and a time to uproot. Words that you have almost certainly heard, perhaps countless times, at a funeral. And they're beautiful words. It's beautiful poetry. The problem is this quick snapshot does not capture for us the drama and the tension of the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is relevant because it raises the biggest and hardest questions that lie at the heart of the human experience in a fallen world. This book is for people who feel tired or bored, discouraged, or frustrated. It's for people who are searching for meaning and purpose in life when it feels so elusive at times. It feels like chasing the wind. 
like trying to catch a bubble. Have you ever seen this? I have, I have two little girls. They love bubbles. Kids love bubbles. But the thing about a bubble is as soon as you try to catch it, it pops. It's elusive. You can't catch it. Ecclesiastes is for people who struggle with the unsolved mysteries of life, the enigmatic nature of life on planet Earth. Therefore, I think it's a book for all of us. We all feel frustrated. We all at times feel like life is just one endless cycle. We're looking for meaning in the midst of it. And so Ecclesiastes is included in a section of the Bible that's known as the wisdom literature. Uh, The particular subset of wisdom literature that it falls under is sometimes referred to as pessimism literature. I didn't know that was a category, did you? And this is, this is not a pop culture article. This was like legit scholarship. They said this book falls into the pessimism literature category. So I don't know. Some of your social media feeds could probably be classified that way. This type of literature is not super uncommon in the ancient world. It was known. The author of Ecclesiastes is probably Solomon or someone who was hired by Solomon or who was trained by Solomon. But it certainly seems to point to the Solomon tradition, and most conservative scholars attribute the book to him, although it doesn't explicitly tell us that it was written by Solomon. But we'll go with that. Some scholars believe that Solomon is writing near the end of his life, that this book forms a kind of final capstone of his wisdom that he wants to pass along to the world. So what is the purpose of the book? There are many ways that we could probably answer that question. But I believe the purpose of Ecclesiastes is to encourage the life of faith and trust in God as a better alternative to life without God. To show the contrast between the enigmatic nature of finding purpose and fulfillment in life under the sun. We'll unpack that phrase in a minute. So he compares life under the sun to the life of faith and trust and obedience to God's authority. So let's dive into chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What a way to start a poem. The message of Ecclesiastes is built around the use of this word meaningless. Depending on which translation of the Bible you're using, it could also read vanity or futility. This word appears 38 times in just a short book of 12 chapters. This word meaningless, it literally means breath or vapor. Think of this image. You go outside on a super cold day and you can see your breath as it comes out of your mouth, but only for a moment. And then it goes away. It's like a cloud, like a mist, like a vapor. And so figuratively, this word refers to something that is fleeting or elusive, something that lacks substance that cannot be grasped, something that is nonsensical. It seems to have no meaning. It makes no sense. The grammar here at the very beginning of the book is uses superlative construction. So the word is hevel, and it means hevel of hevels. So it would be similar to saying holy of holies, right? The holiest place is the holy of holies. So he says vapor, mist, vapor of vapor, The most meaningless thing possible. All of life is utterly meaningless. This is written by a person who is frustrated, who has experienced discouragement, who's struggling with 
the meaning and purpose of life. There's a lot of angst in this book. Life can feel like we are hamsters stuck on a wheel. We're spinning around in a circle. We're not going anywhere. Nothing really seems to matter or change. And the only way to find meaningful life in this cycle is to find satisfaction and contentment in God and what he has given us. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a gift this morning. The truth is, if you just sat down and read through the book of Ecclesiastes in one sitting, which I would encourage you to do, if you read through the book, it's, it, it gets wearisome. It's very dramatic. And the tension of the book is not solved really until the last two verses. So it's kind of tiring. If I preached this book just chronologically as it occurred, and let's say we took one week per chapter and we took 12 weeks, half the church would be gone halfway through the series because you'd be going, okay, everything's meaningless. Why are we going to show up? So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you a gift, partly because we have more knowledge now, and we're reading the book with a different perspective. We're going to resolve that tension, and then what we're going to do is we're going to then take both the beginning and the ending, and we're going to look at each topic as we go through, through the lenses of two paths in life. Okay, rather than make you wait and hold the drama till the very end, we're going we're gonna to look at the end this morning. So Ecclesiastes describes the meaningless, the frustration of life in a post-Genesis 3 world. It hammers home the point that ever since the Garden of Eden, life can feel futile. It can at times feel hopeless and meaningless. Romans chapter 8, Paul writes this, For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. In a way, you're supposed to feel frustrated with life as it is. It's not a real happy self-help TED Talk kind of you know, prosperity gospel message, but it's the message of the Bible. We are supposed to feel frustration. In fact, if you're not feeling some frustration with life, maybe you've been swept up a little bit too much in the gifts and goodness of life. Maybe you've been too padded, but I don't think that's actually experience for, for any of us. I think we all get it. I don't have to explain to you the need for this message. East of Eden, we live in a frustrated, cursed existence, seeking lasting joy in things that will always let us down and never deliver. This is the reality of life under the sun that Solomon unfolds for us in the book. We know that Solomon seemingly had everything at his disposal. At his disposal. He had power. He had influence. He had worldly pleasures. He wasn't perfect. He made mistakes. But Solomon's basically writing to tell us, he's saying, look, I have everything. I've sought everything. You think that you've gone out there and explored the world and tried to find meaning in things? I've tried more than you have. Because I'm at the top. We're all kind of trying to climb the ladder in life, right? We feel like if we can just get to a certain point, a little bit more, a little bit more status, a little more position, a little more pleasure, a little more money, a little more comfort. If we can get to the top, then at the top we'll see something great and we'll be happy. But here's what Solomon has given us as a gift. He is saying, I have climbed the ladder to the very top, 
higher than any of you. And fortunately for us, he looked down from the top of the ladder and he said, hey, there's nothing up here for you. Whatever it is you think you're looking for, it's not found up here. I'm going to tell you where you can find it. But it ain't found here. So verse 3, the opening question. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? This phrase, under the sun, it appears 30 times throughout the book. It's a way of characterizing the teacher's attempts to consider the question of meaning and purpose from a purely earthly perspective. And he concludes that if this world is all there is, if there's no God and there's no afterlife, there's no ultimate judgment, there's no ultimate redemption, then life is meaningless. That's his conclusion. You know, Jesus asked a similar question in Mark eight thirty six. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, to climb the ladder to the top, and yet forfeit their very soul? Resounding answer to that rhetorical question is nothing. It's of no good. It's a vapor. It's a mist. You breathe it out and it's gone before you can get it. It's like a bubble you're chasing. And as soon as you try to grasp it, it pops. What good is it? How much knowledge you have, how much money you make, how popular you are. All of it is meaningless if God is not at the center of your life. Amen? Ecclesiastes begins by pointing to the repetitive cycle of the natural world. He wants to prove it. He wants to make his case. So he starts with creation. Starting in verse 5, three examples. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. So he says, look, the sun is like an exhausted track runner who's just running around the track in circles, not really going anywhere. No offense to those of you who run track. There's a purpose. I enjoy running as well. Although I enjoy running somewhere rather than just in circles. The wind gusts in circles. It generates a lot of apparent activity, but yet nothing seems to change. The cycle of the oceans, the water cycle, goes round and round and the water makes its way back to the ocean, but there's no net gain. It still stays at the same level. He says, look at the natural created order and you'll see this cycle of seeming and apparent meaningless in life. The task of the world is never complete. The universe appears to be trapped in this cycle and not accomplishing anything. We can all feel this cycle in different ways. We feel that pain. We clean the dishes. And we get up the next day and there's more dirty dishes. We do the laundry. And before we can even put our head on the pillow, there's already more dirty laundry in the basket. This is one of my favorites. We clear our email inbox. And before we can even log off the computer, ding, there's another email sitting there waiting for us just feels like it never 
ends. So when I was a kid, we used to go to these things called arcades. They have them now. They're very different. Uh, and there were a lot of fun games. And um, some of you may recall a game called Whack-A-Mole. It's kind of become a cultural expression. These little moles that will pop up. And as they pop up, you got to whack them on the head before they pop back down uh, into the game. And so it just seems like, and then as you move through the cycle, they start popping up faster and they're all coming and you're trying to take them out. There was a similar version with the alligators. How many of you guys remember these? You remember these games? Anybody? Okay. There was another version with alligators where they would come out and you had to whack them on the head. I just remember the noise. I don't know. It's stuck in my head. And that is how the thing, here's the thing though. In the game, it's fun because it ends at some point, right? And you get a score, you get a scorecard. But in real life, the gators never stop popping out. And the moles never, there's no end. And you don't get a prize. So what's the answer to this endless cycle of effort? Well, the absurdity of human thinking is that we try to solve this problem with more of the same. Right? If we're not satisfied with whatever we have, we think if we just get more, then we'll be happy. So Solomon pairs these three natural elements of sun, wind, and water with three human behaviors in verse 8. He says, all things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye can never, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. So saying, seeing, or hearing. You can't say enough. You can't hear enough. You can't see enough to fix the problem. But we think we can. We think we can get enough experiences. We can get enough stuff. And this is certainly the American answer. If we just had more of whatever it is, we would be happy. If we just had better. But Solomon says, look, again, I'm at the top. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I've said it all. The answer is elusive. So the further we get into this opening section, the more unraveled the author's thoughts seem to get. Verse 9, he says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Life is like Groundhog Day. It's an endless cycle. He argues from personal experience. Nothing has satisfied me. So here's the picture he paints throughout the book, and we're going to go into some different topics. He says, look, you work hard, and you can acquire nice things. What's going to happen with those things eventually? They're going to fall apart. They're going to break. Even our nicest things are going to end up in the dump. It's stuff. Now, we're going to talk about our stuff, and God gives us stuff, and he wants us to enjoy it, but we got to have the right perspective on it, or our stuff turns against us. He says, look, you try to exercise, and you take care of your body, and you think you've done all the right things, and eaten the right ways, tried to take care of yourself, and yet still, medical conditions, unexpectedly, begin to take our bodies. He talks about death a lot in this book. He says it's the ultimate equalizer. 
You work hard and, and you learn a lot and you get a degree, but it doesn't land you a good job. Talk to many young people who experience that frustration. They thought it was, you know, you just go to college and then once you have your degree, you're going to get a good job. It doesn't, it's not a guarantee. You try to make an impact in this world, but most of us will only be remembered by a few relatives for a few decades. That's a sobering reality of life. People come and people go. Isaiah says we're, we're like grass. So what's the point? Aren't you glad we're not going to do this for 11 weeks? <laughs> now, throughout the book, there's moments when the author seems to get a little more positive, but then he only concludes again that life is meaningless. It's not till the very, very end of the book that he solves the tension for us. And it's very profound, but it's a very simple answer. He goes through the cycle. Everything seems to be meaningless and pointless. And this is where the book ends. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Here's the conclusion of the matter. There is a God. And he is good. And he is all-powerful. And he is going to bring things, all things under judgment. And he is going to bring together his plan of redemption. And so what are we supposed to do in the meantime? We experience the frustration of life. In fact, there's an interesting section in the book where he concludes that even wisdom appears to be meaningless and elusive. I think what he's saying there is that even the things that we know to be true, sometimes they don't end up turning out the way we think they should. Everything leaves us at this point of frustration. So what are we supposed to do? And maybe this is not a good enough answer for you, but I think this is the answer. He says, in the end, you're going to continue to experience frustration in life. But here's the best you got. Here's the answer. You want your life to have meaning and purpose? Fear God. Keep his commands. And what does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean to be scared of God in a way, although he is holy and awesome. And without the redemptive blood of Jesus, we ought to be scared in a way to meet a holy God. But, but, but fearing God doesn't quite mean to be scared of God in the way that we're scared of things on this earth. No, to fear God really means to see God clearly. To see God for who he is. To see that he is holy, that he is good, and that he is worthy of our worship and our lives, and our surrender. That's what it means to fear God, to be in awe of him. And therefore, to rightly respond to that information. We fear God, we see who God is, and in response to that, well then, if he is God and he is holy, then we should do what he says. We ought to live our lives the way that he has created us to live them. Fear him and keep his commands. Ecclesiastes gives a kind of bleak outlook on life, but the Spirit of God inspired these words for a very specific purpose. To expose the meaningless of life in a cursed world in order to create hunger for something better. We ought to hunger for something better. Ecclesiastes wants to push us to faith and contentment in God. To see that apart from life, 
the life of faith in God, everything in life does prove elusive and meaningless. We cannot grasp it. Because our primary purpose is that we exist to glorify God, to enjoy Him forever, to serve Him, to be His representatives, as we talked about a few weeks ago. So I love this quote here by a scholar I was reading this week. He says, The preacher wishes to deliver us from a rose-colored, self-confident, godless life. A lot of forces pushing us that direction. With its inevitable cynicism and bitterness, and to deliver us from trusting in wisdom and pleasure and wealth and human justice or integrity. He wishes to drive us to see that God is there, that he is good and generous, and that only such an outlook makes life coherent and fulfilling. Consider it, friends. Are you frustrated with life? Are you not finding ultimate meaning and purpose and even good things like family and friends and relationship and jobs? Are you looking to find some ultimate purpose and hope in your life? Ecclesiastes gives us an answer. And of course, now we know that we know more than the author of Ecclesiastes, right? We're further into the story of redemption. The author could conclude that fear God and keep his commandments. And now we have added on top of that, the layer of the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done for us that enables us to fear God and keep his commands. And through the gospel, everything is meaningless becomes everything is meaningful. I'm going to say that again because this is important. Through the gospel, everything is meaningless becomes everything is meaningful. It gives us a new perspective from which to view every aspect of our lives. And rather than life being this endless cycle of meaninglessness, it's a cycle of redemption and of hope and of finding meaning, appropriate meaning in the world, in our daily activities, finding purpose in him. There's two paths in life. There's the path under the sun. Just simply live, and this world is all there is, and there's no meaning, and there's no explanation, and we die and nothing happens. Or we say, there is a meaning, and there is a purpose, and there's a God who created it all and who embedded that purpose, and the purpose of my life is to seek that God and to know who he is and to walk in his ways and to be his representative in the world. Two paths in life, and that's the way we approach everything. We either don't find meaning from an earthly perspective or we seek that heavenly perspective and we find meaning in everything that we do. I want to end with one of my favorite quotes. I've shared it before on a number of occasions. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Are you feeling restless this morning about anything? Seek to find your contentment in God. Looking for meaning, looking for purpose, fear God and keep his commands. That's the path to purpose and meaning. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, this morning we come before you as a humble people who all experience the frustrating cycle of life. We're often weary and tired. We're often unfaithful. Our lives are a mess. But Lord, we thank you that you have infused an ultimate purpose in our lives. 
And I pray that that would be re-energized in us today. It would be reborn in those who have lost perspective on that. And I pray, God, that it would be birthed anew for those who have been seeking meaning and purpose. And today they've heard the words that it is found in a relationship with you. Knowing who you are, knowing your son, Jesus Christ, and surrendering your life over to his control and walking with you. God, may we not chase the wind and simply live our lives from an earthly perspective, but may we fear you and keep your commands and find ultimate meaning and purpose in that. God, I pray for all my friends that you would work this truth into our hearts today, that it would come alive and it would produce good fruit in us and that we would live differently because of this perspective and that that would give us a reason to share the hope that we have with the world. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.